Hey everyone, I just wanted to give a quick disclaimer that this episode may sound like a bit of deja vu for those of you who listened to my previous one, and that is because I started a YouTube channel. And so today's episode was my kind of launching episode for the YouTube channel, where I'm going to be starting a multi-part series on understanding Satan. So if you listen to the previous episode, you won't necessarily hear any new ideas in this one, although it will get much more in-depth, because in the previous episode I had to give a very surface-level understanding, but this one just allowed me to dig really deeply into the topic and get into it. So uh, make sure you check me out on YouTube. I'll have a link down in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy. Well, they say you got to go big or go home, and since I'm recording this at home, I guess my only option for my first YouTube video is to go big and talk about Satan. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And uh, this is going to be the very first video in a five-part series where we are talking about Satan, his abilities, what he can and can't do, what his goals are, and things like that. I guess as my first YouTube video, I should say like, subscribe, all that stuff, especially as a newer channel, YouTube is not the friendliest of allowing you to get started, so any little bit there will help. So, uh, as I said, this is going to be a series. Right now, I am planning five parts of it. I currently have the first four written, and so unless things change, um, it'll just be a five-parter. Today, we're going to talk about Satan's powers and limitations, what he can and cannot do. We're going to talk about his methods, how he goes about doing the things that he does. We're going to talk about his ultimate goal of why he does the things that he does. Uh, then on video number four of the series, we're going to get a little more practical and talk about understanding Satan the way that we do. How do we now live? How do we live for Jesus and serve Jesus in this world controlled by Satan? And then lastly, we're going to talk about the what about verses, because I'm going to assume if you listen to this full series that you are going to have several common verses pop into your head and you're going to say, well, what about? So I want to assure you, we will get to those, but we're going to lay just a good foundation here to really get an understanding of what Satan is all about as we see in scripture. And I say it that way because there's something that we need to talk about before we can really begin and dig into what we know about Satan, his powers, and especially his limitations. And that is that for this conversation, we all need to be willing to set aside our assumptions and traditions about Satan, because there's a lot of stuff that we believe about him, a lot of things that we say about him. But as we're going to see, what God's word reveals is often at odds with a lot of what we may already assume. And I don't want that to be a scary thing. I don't want that to be something where people are tempted to automatically maybe shut down and say, oh, no, this is this is too different. I don't like this. Uh, instead, I really want us to be guided by God's word. I want us to look at the entirety of God's word, not maybe just a single Bible verse, but the entirety of what God's word reveals so that we can say, what can we accurately understand about Satan, at least to the best of what God has revealed to us? And at the end of the, at the, end of the day, I want us to desire truth and not comfort. There's going to be some things, even in just the first few minutes of this video, that's probably going to make some of you very uncomfortable. I'm I'm just warning you about that now, that 
I, I want our goal, though, not to be to go along and to reaffirm what we've always heard, what we've always said, what we've always told ourselves, but instead to say what is true so that I can truly live for Jesus Christ in this world. Because by the time we get to episode four, there's we're, we're going to have a totally different understanding of sin, our temptations, what we're called to do in this life and things like that. It's not going to be some new, never before understood thing, but it's something that will very much go against a lot of our traditions that I think we maybe have just gotten a little too comfort, comfortable with to the degree that we've stopped kind of critically thinking about what the Bible is really saying and revealing and what we are just assuming as we read it. So we're just going to get into it. And what I want us to think about is what are the things that we say about Satan? What do we say is true about him as we talk about the the day-to-day interactions he has with us or the world uh, system that he's a part of and things like that? What do we say about him? Uh, Well, a lot of us would say that Satan personally attacks us. You know, if we are suffering a temptation, if we are uh, having a really hard day, you know, everything is just kind of going catastrophically wrong in our lives. We will say, oh, you know, Satan's just really attacking me, but I just need to stay faithful and resist him. Uh, We may also say that he uh, tempts us or creates desires inside of us. Uh, we will say things like, you know, we have these these very sinful thoughts, these sinful desires. Uh, we want to do something that we know is wrong. And we say, oh, you know, man, Satan's just really tempting me to do this thing right now. And so we we say that he, he creates those desires within us. Uh, we'll also say that he will whisper lies to us or implant thoughts in our mind, um, telling us, you know, that we're, we're not really loving God, that we're terrible parents, that we're terrible spouses, things like that. Uh, Along with that, we also believe that he hears our thoughts, that uh, Satan knows exactly what we're thinking. He knows those terrible thoughts we're having. He knows the the wickedness that goes on in our hearts and can just read it plain as day. Uh, We say that he commands fallen angels and demons, uh, that he rules hell. Uh, If you're familiar with, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons, the the pitchfork and, and long red tail and all that. Um, And then in a broad sense, we say that Satan has vast amounts of power, that he can do almost anything. Maybe he's not as powerful as God, but we we ascribe to him near limitless power, that whatever we think Satan is doing is because he just has the power to do it. Uh, We also believe that he knows what's happening everywhere, that he knows what I'm saying as I'm recording this. He knows what you are doing right now. He knows what everyone everywhere is thinking and doing. And we believe that he can be present with thousands of people all at once. So if Satan is tempting me and he's tempting you and he's tempting someone in England and tempting someone in Jamaica, clearly he is basically almost omnipresent to be able to directly tempt and whisper lies and things like that and to directly attack thousands of people all at once all the time. So these are the things that we say about Satan. These are the things that I kind of said we, we've grown very comfortable with, and these are things that we say often. But what I want us to look at is we're not going to go necessarily one-to-one through these, but what I want us to look at is what the Bible really reveals about Satan and if that matches a lot of the assumptions that we make about him. So the first thing that I want us to look at is, does Satan tempt us directly? You know, we talk about, you know, oh, all throughout the Bible, you know, Satan, he's just constantly attacking people. He's constantly tempting them. He's he's whispering lies to all kinds of people all throughout the Bible. But if we actually look at the Bible, 
we are going to see that Satan only spoke directly to three people. He spoke to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, which says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it, and you shall not touch it, lest you die. And so here we saw uh, that they were having, honestly, a conversation, right? This wasn't a mental battle. This was Satan directly talking to Eve. It says the serpent, but we see in Revelation that the serpent is ascribed as Satan. Now, we also see that Adam may have talked to Satan, maybe. If you read the narrative of the uh, Genesis uh, 6, or 3, 1 to 6, Adam is present, he's around, he ends up eating as well. Maybe Satan talked to him, and that's fine. For for what we're going to talk about, it's possible that Satan also talked to Adam. But then finally, we see that he talked to Jesus um, in the temptation in the, in the wilderness. We can see this, uh, just the start of it, in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, which say, Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was being led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when he had, they had finished, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And again, you can read more of the Luke chapter 4 passage and its uh, parallel passages in the Gospels. But what we see, though, is that these are the only people recorded as speaking to Satan. This, these are the only people that Satan has spoken to in terms of human beings. Now, what we want to ask is, what is the commonality? If it's true, and I would encourage you to go check, but if it's true that Satan only directly spoke to these three people, what is it that they have in common? And the only similarity that I can see between Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and Adam and Eve is that they had no sin nature. That's really all they seem to share between what made them unique and set them apart from all the rest of humanity who has ever been born since Adam and Eve, is that they did not have their own sin nature to draw them away from obedience to God. So here, the, the core idea that we already have about Satan, that Satan tempts us, that Satan whispers to us, that he talks to us, we already see an issue with it and that we read about him doing this thing and we assume that that's just what he does. But we may perhaps fail to realize that he does that to specific people for a specific reason. Now, what I'm going to say is that I'm not saying that Satan can't talk to people. And as we'll see, as we talk about kind of the nature of him and what his powers are, he certainly could talk to people. My point is that it is wildly impractical for him to tempt me or to tempt you. We are small potatoes. We don't need Satan's help to be tempted towards sin. And we are also going to see that it would be a, a wildly irresponsible use of the limited time and resources that Satan actually has. So having said that, I want us to now look at what we actually know about Satan. What do we see in the Bible that can help us better understand what he is actually capable of, and especially all the stuff that he can't do that maybe we assume that he does? Now, the kind of foundational thing that we need to understand 
is that Satan is an angelic being, and therefore he is going to have the exact same restrictions as any other angelic being that we see in God's word. Now, to help us see why we believe that he's an angelic being, uh, we can look at Ezekiel 28, 14. That's a popular one. It says uh, in the Legacy Standard Bible translation, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Now here, uh, the king of Tyre is being kind of chastised and condemned, and it seems like there is kind of this supernatural language being ascribed to him, possibly comparing the human king of Tyre to some angelic being who fell, and a lot of people would argue that that is Satan. Maybe. Um, and if true, um, another interesting thing is that in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, so this is what actually people like Jesus and Paul would have used in their reading as they read the Greek, is it said that from the day thou wast created, thou wast with the cherub. So again, this is talking about to the king of Tyre specifically, there's no hint or mention that this is specifically Satan, but there is a, a language here that almost seems to override what is possible for a human king. So this could be talking about how Satan either is or was a cherub, or he was in the midst of the cherub. He worked alongside these angelic beings called cherub. But either way, uh, that could be talking about Satan. But we also see in 1 Corinthians 11, 13 to 14, uh, saying that um, for such men are false apostles, talking about false teachers, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so here it is saying that Satan can appear as an angel of light. Now, what is that? Ultimately, light is a sign of obedience to God. It is, it, you know, God is light. There is no darkness in him. And so what this is saying is not that Satan can shapeshift, but instead, because, you know, realize that whether an angel is obedient or disobedient to God, there's no hint that they somehow change form, that they become corrupted and decrepit and have, you know, black goo oozing out of them or, you know, whatever things that we picture with things like demons and Satan. Instead, Satan is an angel who walks in disobedience, just as there are human beings out there who walk in obedience or disobedience to God. And physically, we can't really tell the difference between them. So what this is saying here, though, is that Satan, who is an angel of darkness, who is an angel of evil and wickedness, he can appear, he can disguise himself, he can masquerade as an angel of light. Again, the only way that that's possible is if Satan is already an angelic being and he's just acting like he's playing for the other team. And then finally, Matthew 25, 41 says, then he will also say to those on his left, uh, this is a future judgment, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So again, uh, the lake of fires we'll talk about in a future video has been set aside for Satan and his angels. Again, lumping Satan along with a, a untold number and of unnamed angels. So, again, we, we can know that Satan, there, there's nothing in the Bible that hints that Satan is some uniquely created being. There's no hint that he is a super powerful angel beyond anything else. We know that he was created. We know that God created intelligent human beings and he created intelligent angelic beings. And so Satan really can only be one of three intelligent things. Either he can be God, he can be a human, or he can be an angel. I think the safe 
assumption based on what we see, based on what we know, is that Satan is an angelic being. And so if that is true, then we need to now look at, okay, if that is true, then what does the Bible reveal about Satan specifically or just angelic beings in general? And this is going to be key because a lot of our understandings of Satan are when we see him acting as the absolute worst of the worst. And therefore, we kind of assign a lot more power and ability to him than what is biblically possible for him to have. So, for example, the one thing that we have to know about Satan is that he can only occupy one space at a time. Now, no, the Bible does not say that. However, we do know that angels are spatial beings. They can be at one place at one time. When we see someone speaking to an angel or when we see an angel interacting with the the human physical world or even angels standing in the courtroom of God, they are occupying a certain volume of space, if you will. They are so big, so high, they 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 take up a certain volume. And if you are looking at a Satan or at a an angel in front of you, you know, if we see someone interacting with an angel, if they're speaking to that angel in front of them, that angel isn't also beside them. That angel's not in the house next door. The angel's not in another nation. It's not both there on earth and also up in uh, God's courtroom in heaven. Angels take up a certain amount of space. They can only be at one place at one time, which therefore means that Satan likewise can only be in one place at one time. So those who think that Satan is personally attacking us, that he is personally whispering thoughts or, or lies and things like that, that gets a little more difficult when we realize that if Satan's busy doing that with us, he's not doing that to the thousands of other people who are maybe a little more worth his time than just us who are, again, perfectly capable of being tempted to the worst of sins all on our own. Now, we also know that angels have to travel. They are spatial beings. They cannot be everywhere at once. But we also know that they also have to get from point A to point B somewhat similarly to how we have to and that we can't just abracadabra appear there. We actually have to travel. Now, we can actually see this in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. Uh, now, we're, we're going to do kind of a bit more context and look at verses 11 to 14. Uh, so an angelic being arrives and starts speaking to Daniel and says, and he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you gave your heart to understand this and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. So Daniel had been praying. God heard Daniel's prayer. And then God sent an angel in response. And then it goes on. And the angel says, but... The prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing against me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Now I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. Now, this is the really fascinating part here, is that Daniel prayed, God heard. God tasked an angel with carrying a message to Daniel. And that angel had to get from where he was before the throne of the Heavenly Father to Daniel. But in the way from A to B, this prince of the kingdom of Persia stopped him. He stood against him. And he did it 
for three weeks, 21 days, that this angel who was taking up a certain volume of space was trying to get through the territory of Persia. But he couldn't do it. And it wasn't until Michael, yes, that Michael, came and helped him to basically tip the balance so that this angel could escape and deliver his message to Daniel. And so here we see that for Satan to get anywhere that he wants to be, he has to travel to do so. There's not instantaneous travel. There's probably not light speed travel. It's probably an actual, like you could actually see them moving at what we would assume is a normal speed. Because again, this angel had to cross through the kingdom of Persia. If he could get there in an instant, it would probably have been better to go around Persia and not interact with this angelic being, which is called the Prince of Persia. And we'll get to that, I think, in the next video of what that's really talking about. But we do know that there was an angelic being traveling and had, and in order to get to where he wanted to go, he had to go through a place that was basically enemy territory to get there, meaning that his travel had to be slow enough that it was not advisable or wise to take that long way around. So Satan, likewise, is going to have to travel to get any old where that he wants to go. Now, we also know that Satan is going to have limited knowledge. He does not know everything. He is not this nearly all-knowing being. Angelic beings, angels, demons, Satan, they only know what they can know. Just like human beings, we can only know the things that we observe and can understand. We can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are being abolished. Now, these rulers, just to, to put a pause here, these rulers are the same understanding as that prince of the kingdom of Persia. These are not, you know, Caesars and rulers and things like that, you know, human beings. These are angelic beings ruling areas. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the wisdom which has been hidden. So this is not wisdom that all angelic beings had access to, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So as you read uh, the, the trials and the death of Jesus Christ, Yes, human rulers were involved, but there was so much more going on there than just human rulers executing someone who they didn't understand. There was a a spiritual battle also going. There was something involved where basically Satan wanted Christ to die. We see that, you know, how, how Satan entered Judas. We see uh, that in this passage, what it's saying is that had Satan known, had these rulers known what was going to happen by killing Jesus— they would have stayed as far away from him as possible, but they didn't know because they can only know what they're able to observe and understand and, and piece together, just like how we as human beings can only know the things that we can observe and piece together. Now, we also see 1 Peter 1.12 talk about this. It was revealed to them, uh, in context, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you and these things, which now have been declared to you through those who proclaimed the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So again, there are things, there is knowledge and understanding that angels and angelic beings just do not have access to. And that's going to include Satan. 
Now, furthermore, what we know about Satan is that he can't read minds. Now, the Bible does not specifically say angels, angelic beings cannot read minds, but rather that this is something reserved for God and God alone. Only God knows our thoughts. And this is actually a really fascinating proof for Jesus Christ being God, even though, as you know, some people like Jehovah's Witnesses might say, well, he never said he's God. He didn't have to. He's God. And we'll see it here. So in Mark 2, 6 to 8, it says, But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. So they were thinking in, inwardly to themselves. They had a thought life going on. Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus was forgiving sins. Interesting. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? So they had thoughts. They had something going on internally that Jesus, only because he was God, could hear and understand and talk to them about. That is a, a, a ability. That is a power reserved for God and God alone, not Satan. Satan cannot hear our thoughts. Uh, we see Old Testament, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That is a unique trait of God and God alone, to look at the heart, to know our thoughts, to know who and what we truly are. Satan can know stuff about us, but only what he is able to observe. Uh, we also know that Satan has to speak audibly. Now, I'm not going to go repeat these, but we saw the only times that Satan is ever recorded as interacting with human beings is a physical conversation. It's not thinking into someone's mind and then thinking thoughts back at him. He has to speak to people and people have to speak to him. So when we say that Satan is whispering thoughts, again, he fully could. He he is like an and any other angel. Angels can travel. They can appear in, in physical form. They can speak. But what we need to understand, though, is that if Satan is literally whispering lies to us, it needs to be something that if we were recording that moment, that we could record the voice of Satan whispering these lies. There is no indication anywhere that Satan or any angelic being speaks anything into our minds. They have to speak audibly for us to hear them with our ears. And we also know that Satan is no more powerful than any other angel. You know, a lot of times when we talk about Satan, we, we give him the, these nearly godlike powers. You know, we think that he is, is able to sit wherever he's at in, in hell or wherever his throne is right now. And we think that he just sees all the things happening all the time. And he's able to extend his will and his power and interact with anyone in the world at any time, or maybe to be almost omnipresent and appear anywhere and tempt everyone all at the same time. But what the Bible actually describes about Satan is that he is, is really not much of anything. He, he's definitely a threat, but he is, he's not any more powerful than any other angel out there. So we see this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. This is a future event. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he, the angel, laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And that is really interesting. 
not an archangel, right? God doesn't call Michael to do it. He doesn't call Jesus Christ to do it. You know, the heavenly father doesn't say Satan is just so powerful that I alone have the power to bind him. No, just this, just this random angel. God just sends with a chain to, to bind up Satan and the angel grabs him and he binds him and he is bound. Satan can do nothing to resist this angel because Satan is not any more powerful than a single individual angel as soon as God says that Satan's time is up. Now, if we continue reading, it says that he, the angel threw Satan into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now, this is one of those things that we want to put a mental pin in. Again, we talk about Satan goes out and he just deceives us. He's out to attack us. He's whispering lies to us. We we paint Satan as creating these individualized one-on-one attacks against us. But note here what Satan has stopped from doing. He's not stopped from, att- from attacking or tempting individuals or whispering lies or putting bad thoughts into the minds of individuals. He has stopped from deceiving the nations. And we're going to get into that next in the next video, but just make a good note of that, that the things that we're saying about Satan are making much less sense as attacks on individual levels, but that doesn't mean that Satan is not a threat. He is a much bigger threat than I think most of us give him credit for. Now, finally, Satan may be spending his time in God's heavenly courtroom. Uh, now, this is one that uh, even within uh, the camps of uh, you know people who believe in the rapture and the seven-year tribulation and things like that, uh, this is a kind of debated, debated timeline. But where I'm getting this is Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. So this is after, uh, at the start of Revelation 12, you have the war in heaven where Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven and thrown to the earth. And then it picks up here in Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Now, I said this is kind of a debated thing, and I said Satan may currently be in God's courtroom, and that is because we don't really know when this war in heaven takes place. The timeline is is maybe a little more difficult to pin down than we, we may assume. Um, we know that this isn't some war in heaven that happened during Eden and things like that, because as we read, this... T- Uh, Satan is cast out and defeated because of the blood of the lamb and the testimony of those who are martyred in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, regardless of when this happens, it has to be post-crucifixion. There was no blood of the lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ, until that time. So when this whole war happens, though, is either sometime around when the crucifixion happened, meaning that Satan has been expelled from God's courtroom, or this is a future event, maybe taking place around the time of the tribulation when Satan is thrown down and things get really bad because he realizes that his time is short. But if though, if this has not yet happened, if this is a future event that kicks off the seven-year tribulation or maybe the last half of the seven-year tribulation, then that means that right now Satan is not personally roaming around the earth all the time. Yes, he is, right? He, he's not spending all his time in, in God's courtroom, but it says that 
he, whenever he's in God's courtroom, he is accusing the brothers day and night before God. So Satan is like a slimy lawyer standing in God's courtroom, hurling accusations about the unworthiness of God's people to receive salvation, about how we've broken the law and, and how we, we do not deserve justification. We do not deserve forgiveness. That's most likely what this is talking about that Satan is doing is he is accusing us before God in the same way that a lawyer holding up a, a book of the law would accuse defendants of being guilty of breaking the law. But uh, whether it happened at the cross, whether it happens in the future, uh, Satan does get thrown down out of God's courtroom. But that is where it either now or previously he spent most of his time now. Right now, my understanding of this is I would say that he is currently up in God's courtroom. I, my current understanding, I am not an expert, but my current understanding is that um, this this particular moment is going to take place and uh, kick off some part of the tribulation. But even if you don't agree with that, even if you don't see it that way, that is totally fine. It is a such a minor point uh, compared to what else that we have seen about Satan. But to sum up that, where we're at right now, uh, we need to see that the Bible only records Satan speaking to humans without sin natures. Satan does not whisper to you because he does not need to. Now, we will see in the second and third video of this series why that is and what he's actually doing and maybe why it feels like he's whispering to you. But Satan only talks to people who are otherwise unable to choose apart from what God has said. Uh, second, we know that Satan is a spatial being with the same powers and limitations as any other angelic being. And that is so critical. Anything that we say about Satan has to be in alignment with what he, he is, right? By his very nature. Just like we are not going to say that, oh yeah, you know, a bear can was, was found just living in the depths of the ocean, right? Bears can't do that because they are not designed to do that. They are by their very nature, incapable of living in the depths of the ocean or flying to the top of a mountain. A bear is a bear, and a bear can only do what it can do. Satan is just the same. Satan is an angelic being. He can only do what is within the sphere of his nature, of his natural God-created abilities to do. Now, he can sure do a lot, but we don't want to say that he is capable of doing much more than what he can, because when we do we run into a lot of issues. And that is because Satan ultimately is not an evil version of God. He's just not. Satan cannot see everything all at once. He cannot be everywhere all at once. He does not have the ability to just do whatever he wants. Satan is a huge enemy of God. He hates God. He hates God's people. No doubt about it. And he is a real and ancient enemy but we have to keep him in the proper perspective if we have any hope of living this life on earth, of understanding the reality of where our sin comes from, of what Satan's really doing in the world. And as we're going to see in the future, we're going to realize that we have, we, a lot of us have spent so much time blaming Satan for things that are our own faults that we actually stunt our own ability to grow because we spend so much time blaming our problems on others. And we spend so much time doing that, that we remove our own ability to evaluate where these temptations come from, why we have these thoughts, why we live the way we do or think the way that we do. It's because we create Satan out to be an evil version of God, maybe not as powerful as God, 
but significantly more powerful than what the Bible reveals about Satan or just angelic beings in general. But, again, Satan is a real threat. Please do not mishear me say that Satan's not a problem, that he's not a big deal, that he's nothing. Satan is a huge problem, a much bigger problem than probably anyone watching this may understand. And we have to realize that Satan is an ancient enemy. Uh, I, we discussed that, you know, Satan can only know what he can observe. But Satan has had, you know, if you take a young earth view, Satan's had 6,000 years to observe human behavior, to understand how we tick, to know that there's nothing unique or special about humans as the generations go on. We are still just as depraved and wicked and loving nothing more than to dive headfirst into sin and rebel against our God. Satan knows these things. The only thing he's that's changed over the years is that his methods have probably gotten better because he's learned a lot more. He is an ancient and real enemy. He is a huge threat, but he's not a threat to you individually. He is a threat to the entire world and especially to the entire church as we are living our lives for Jesus Christ. So to wrap this up, as we, as I sign off this video, um, I want you to remember that what you believe about Satan has to be consistent with God's word, even if it goes against your tradition. I assume there's a, a handful of people out there who have been pausing and digging furiously and, and maybe even struggling through a lot of things talked about in this video. And that's fine. My goal here is not to convince you to agree with me. My one desire is for you to believe what God's word says. If I am wrong, if what I've said is not in alignment with God's word, then I want to, be, I want to know that I'm wrong. Because I don't want to sit here and just shove out Bible verses and just make stuff up so that I can feel right about something. But as we've seen, a lot of God's word does not give Satan the power that we give him. We assume a lot about this ancient enemy that just is not true. And so as you are maybe digesting this, working through it, struggling through it, whatever you do with it, make sure that whatever conclusions you come to are consistent with God's word. Even if it goes against your tradition, even if it's what you've said for decades of your life, even if it goes against what you've read in all the books by all the really solid authors and pastors out there, because I acknowledge, I, I really struggled with this as I started piecing this together and realizing what God's word reveals about Satan, because it goes against a lot of people that I have a deep love and respect for, you know, men out there who, who I know, know so much more about God's word than I probably ever will. But I can't ignore that a lot of what we say about Satan is just based on tradition, that even good men are imperfect men, and that what what all men and women say is not always going to be perfect. And so we need to not just be content or even scared about sitting in, in our traditions, but instead desire for God's word to be true for the, the universe that God has made for the order that it has for how things really work. We want to desire that truth to be foremost in our minds and to be our greatest desire to study and to understand. Even as I said, if that means really changing a lot of what you've always believed and what you've always said, what you've always taught others, we want to be consistent with God's word above all else. Now on the flip side, Please do not be that guy about Satan. Uh, this is something I will admit, uh, you know, I assume 
it's my first YouTube video. Probably the only people who know me are watching this. And a lot of people probably don't, unless, unless you've heard me talk specifically on Satan, where the, the conversation has been unavoidable. This is not something I bring up to people a lot. You know, when people talk to me, when I'm in counseling situations, when we're, we're talking or if someone's asking for prayer and stuff and people talk about, oh, you know, Satan's attacking me. And, and I feel like there's these demons following me around or whatever. I'm not sitting there correcting people. This, this is a thing that helps us better understand our sin nature, but it is not something where I'm going to make someone feel bad about their, their traditional understanding about Satan, or maybe they're just different interpretation of God's word. You know, men and women who really and truly have done the study and they have concluded that Satan can whisper to all of us at once. He does have all this power. He, you know, this and that. I want to really encourage you because when we get new knowledge about the Bible and things that especially go against tradition, it's really, really tempting to just shove it in people's face and be combative and even feel superior to others about it. I want to really encourage you that if you are convinced that even if, uh, part of what I've discussed is true, you know, be careful with this knowledge and how you talk to people. Definitely, you know, your, your kids um, in, in counseling situations and things like that. Yes, point people to the truth, but don't feel like anytime someone says anything even slightly wrong about Satan or, or demons or things like that, that they just have to be corrected because you've got the truth. You know, as Christians, we want to love the truth, but we also want to love others. And that can be a difficult balancing act sometime. But um, yeah, just just be careful um, and, and approach people lovingly or even choose times to just not say anything at all, knowing that at the end of the day, what people are really struggling against is sin, whether it's from themselves, whether it's from Satan, people desire freedom from sin. And we can pray for them in that way. We can counsel them in that way. And at the end of the day, what they need more than anything else is Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, that being said, next time, what I want to talk about is how Satan really controls the world and creates opportunities for us to sin. So if Satan's not out there tempting us one-on-one -on -one individually, what is he doing? Where are all these thoughts coming from? What is Satan really up to? And we'll talk about that in the next video. So that has been uh, the conclusion and wrap up of my very first video on YouTube. I appreciate you sticking with me. Um, again, make sure that you like the video because YouTube likes it when people interact with videos. Uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button because again, YouTube likes to know that channels are worthwhile enough for people to hit that, I think, red button, I think is what it looks like. Uh, but the subscribe button will also let you just be alerted to the next video. Um, I haven't decided if the next video is going to be in this series or if I want to weave this in with um, a bit more of just uh, basic Bible studies and topical discussions. So we'll see what the future holds. But uh, if you like this content, if you appreciate the ministry of Onward in the Faith and what I'm doing here, you can support me every month at patreon.com slash onward in the faith. See you next time.